This is a CNA podcast. When I was growing up, I'd always felt that I'd model how I parented my children after how I was brought up myself. After all, in the eyes of a young child growing up happy and secure, there was no reason to think I could do a better job than my own parents. But as I got older and had my own child, I realised that while my parents loved me dearly, no parent is perfect. And there are obviously things I'd prefer to leave in the past. I'm Leanne, a journalist with CNA Insider and the mother of a two-year-old boy. And it seems like one of the greatest influences on the way we parent is how we were brought up ourselves. That can mean one of two things. We raise our kids the way we were raised, or we do the opposite because we don't want our kids to have the same experience we did. In fact, in the course of working on this podcast, this was something I heard quite a bit from other parents. This happened to me as a child. I don't want to do this to my own children. That was certainly the case with Ivy. I was brought up by the cane. <laughs> but, but I don't have a cane in the house. <laughs> okay, so you and your husband kind of were on the same page, right? Yes. When it came to, to bringing yeah, up your children. It, definitely, we start with good intentions. I like to be more chill. But of course, if you speak to my kids, they don't think so. Ivy's plan, when she first became a parent, was to not give her children too many rules. But life took a 180-degree turn that had her questioning everything she thought she knew. Ivy prefers to use a pseudonym because, as you'll find out, the story she's about to share is a sensitive one, especially for her daughter. But she's choosing to speak about it because she hopes other parents can learn from what she went through and spot the red flags early. There's no room for public shame or stigma for me, I feel, where the health of my children are concerned. So I'll do what it takes. My parents are uh, Chinese-educated teachers. My husband, too, has quite a similar background. So his parents were also Chinese-educated teachers, but in Malaysia... Wow, four teachers yeah, in, your... yeah, in the family. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, the grandchildren need tuition. <laughs> I would say, I mean, I came from a family with five teachers. I mean, mm. my, my mom my mom and her four brothers, are, they're all teachers. I need a tuition. <laughs> yeah, and, and they are Chinese teachers. And the grandchildren is like, you know, getting Ds and Es for Chinese as a second language. <laughs> you might be wondering what having teachers for parents and Chinese teachers at that, was like. Well, for Ivy, it meant that... It's kind of a traditional and strict upbringing for a family of three girls. Obviously, they love us all very much. It's just not very demonstrative. Growing up as the eldest of three girls, Ivy remembers having to push the boundaries a little in some ways. Having to put a case for perming my hair, <laughs> getting earrings, you know, and makeup. Yeah. So, and after I broke through those limits, when my sisters came along three and seven years later, they would just say, oh, go get your big sis to help you, bring you to the right places or make recommendations. Ivy was a little resentful of how her parents were tougher on her as the eldest kid. And she wondered if that strict traditional brand of parenting had anything to do with how she and her husband turned out. They are both introverted and shy. 
So when Ivy had a son, and then a daughter, four years later, she decided she wasn't going to be that kind of mother. Her kids were going to get more freedom and independence. We sort of wanted to give our children a bit more like freedom and choices. And we feel that, you know, the world is changing. And so we wanted our kids to be more confident out there socially. And that was what she set out to do. Let her kids make their own choices. For instance, when Ivy was growing up... In terms of food, it's just whatever's put in front of us, we eat. We are not given much choices, like, what would you like to order? No, it's ordered and you eat it and you finish it. But with her own children, Ivy would be like, uh, What would you like to eat, dear? <laughs> no kind of thing. When I asked Ivy to describe her relationship with her kids in one word, it was close. As a stay-at-home mom, she was extremely hands-on, from packing her son's school bag to ferrying her children to enrichment classes. As a result, they spent a lot of time together. I think they would like tell me most things, but it's also personality-wise. So like my older boy is a lot more open and talks a lot more than my younger girl, who is a lot more reserved. Of course, as the children entered their teens, they wanted more independence and... For a while, they, they, they wouldn't want to be seen with me. It was a little bit of a shock. Lah. They wouldn't want you to hold their hands. But when in private, then they would, they would want to hold my hand. Oh, it's so sad. But anyway, yeah. But I've come to like accept it, of course, you know, with a sense of humour and relief that they are growing up. On the whole though, everything looked pretty good from the outside. But when her daughter was in secondary four, everything changed. It was an otherwise ordinary morning for Ivy when the phone call came. Ivy's daughter, whom we'll call Sophie, was still in school. The call was from Sophie's PE teacher. And this is what Ivy remembers being told. Her weight loss is a concern because at that age, they should be putting on weight, not losing weight. And the weight loss was accelerating. Sophie's teacher had noticed that for the past year, Sophie had stopped putting on weight like teens her age should be doing. Instead, she'd started losing weight. It started with one or two kilograms. But six months later, she'd dropped another 7 to 8 kg. That's pretty significant for a teenager who weighed only about 48 kg in the middle of Sec 3. Ivy's first thought was... Her current weight is not really, like, terribly bad. It's borderline underweight and low end of healthy range. It's not that much of an issue. But since the teacher called, as a responsible parent, I must take action. So the next day, she went to the polyclinic to get a referral to KK Women's and Children's Hospital, or KKH. In my mind, it can't be eating disorder. It could be a medical reason, like something wrong with that organ or whatever, or digestive system, you know, or tapeworm. Besides, Ivy thought to herself, didn't Sophie just do a group project on anorexia nervosa? So it was like, hey, she's doing a project on this to build awareness and prevention. How can she suffer from it, right? Two weeks after getting the referral, Ivy accompanied Sophie to the hospital, where... The doctor diagnosed her with... On the spot. Yeah, and wanted to hospitalise her. Sophie had anorexia nervosa, 
Simply put, it's a restrictive eating disorder characterized by an intense fear of gaining weight and an unhealthy obsession with exercise. It turned out that when Ivy thought Sophie was borderline underweight, she had actually been looking at the Body Mass Index, or BMI, guidelines for adults. The guidelines are not the same for teenagers. A series of tests showed that Sophie was, in fact, severely underweight, and that her heart rate and blood pressure were low. So much so that the doctor advised she be warded for monitoring. But all Ivy thought was, this can't be. And I refused to admit her. I had to sign a form <laughs> against medical advice. By signing that form, Ivy was acknowledging that she was going against the doctor's advice to hospitalise Sophie. She called her husband, who's a doctor, to update him about Sophie, and he also couldn't believe his ears. How? He said, can't be. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we were in agreement. Do I sign the form? Yeah, yeah, sign. Yeah, so we sign the form. Sophie also didn't want to admit that she had an eating disorder. So she's saying, like, you shouldn't have brought me here. How did you respond to that? Your teacher told me to. <laughs> Must listen to teacher. So, you know, and we opted for outpatient treatment instead of hospitalisation. Though Ivy took Sophie home against the doctor's advice, they did get a meal plan from a dietitian and made an appointment with a psychologist to start family-based treatment. That's basically when parents take the lead in supervising the feeding of their child till they reach a healthier weight. But even armed with all this, Ivy and her husband were still in denial. My husband went around asking some of his uh, medical colleagues. They said, oh, it's quite normal for young girls that age to go through dieting. It's a phase. That's what they convinced themselves of at the time. But in hindsight, Ivy sees now there were red flags she'd missed. About a year before her diagnosis, Sophie had started becoming more conscious about eating healthily and very interested in exercising and keeping fit. Ivy had welcomed these developments because her son was grappling with an unhealthy diet at the time, and she'd been worried that Sophie was copying him. So when she was younger, she would follow him, like, you know, have the fries, same like Coco. But as she grew into her teenage years, she started to take more vegetables, enjoy salad, to my everlasting relief. Sophie had also confided in her mom that in the first quarter of secondary four, her period had stopped. I would think that it's quite normal to have some irregularity for young girls in the beginning, so I didn't think much of it. What Ivy had shrugged off at the time were, in fact, some textbook signs of an eating disorder. Because they want to be healthy, or take more salads, vegetables, lean meat. That's KKH pediatrician Elaine Chiu. But, you know, sometimes if they go down a slippery slope where, you know, they kind of cut off carbohydrates completely or, you know, um, they just start to kind of like restrict their portions so their portions get smaller and smaller or, you know, skipping meals. Lah. So that's when, you know, um, their weight starts to drop. Dr. Chiu is in charge of KKH's adolescent medicine department and has 10 years' experience treating eating disorders. She says a common misconception among parents is that it's normal for teens to diet and lose weight. But weight loss in an adolescent who is actually still undergoing growth and puberty and development is, is never normal. But all these were things that Ivy only realised in hindsight. 
Even after Sophie was diagnosed, Ivy was still in denial for months. They went through the motions. Over the next few months, they returned to KKH almost weekly to see either a doctor or a psychologist. Ivy tried to supervise Sophie's meal plan, where she had to consume three meals and three snacks a day. She thought she could get Sophie to a healthy weight at home without having to hospitalise her. But then she noticed that Sophie just couldn't seem to keep the weight on. She would gain half or one kg now and then, but at the next medical appointment, her weight would drop again. The truth began to sink in, and she realised. There's, there's a real problem. And also through the family therapy sessions with the psychologist who was like, Mummy, wake up! Open your eyes! Ivy had started out wanting to be a chill parent. But at this point, she had to do a complete 180. With the help of a psychologist, Ivy and Sophie came up with weight targets Sophie would have to hit. She would be weighed at each medical appointment. And if she didn't meet those weight targets, privileges like going for her sports CCA, school camps, or even access to her devices would be taken away. It was a contract of sorts. As the stay-home mum, Ivy was the one who had to enforce it. Be the bad cop, if you will. So I would say, like, you finish this, and she doesn't, you know, then if not, you have the nutritional top-up, and I'll make it for her. And then she'll run and hide in the room. You know. And I'll leave the cup outside the door. And <laughs> if it's not, then I'll bang the door. And she'll lock it. Then I'll unlock the door. And I say, OK, give me your handphone, give me your laptop, give me your iPad. OK. And then, you know, until you finish that cup. That must have been a huge change for you. Yeah, yeah. It's so different from my normal parenting. Yeah. How did you feel? I feel, um, I, I, I hated having to do it, but uh, that was a contract. Because if I don't stick to it, at the next appointment, I'm going to get out from the psychologist as well. <laughs> I was like, not just So, yeah, so I, I, I just uh, grit my teeth and did it. And I wasn't very calm about it. I had to be very strict with her and monitor her and treat her like a small child. This made Sophie very angry with her, especially when Ivy had to enforce the consequences. She would fight and yell at Ivy, and Ivy would lose her temper and shout back. To Ivy, it was a case of doing what needed to be done. At that point, you just do what's needed. You know, there's no such thing as... Saving face in public, for example. I have chased her down to the car park, to the bus stop before. When she wasn't supposed to go out, which is part of the consequence. Like, you know, you didn't meet weight target, you cannot go out with your friend. But she went out when my back was turned and I ran down to the bus stop in my flip-flops. Go back upstairs. And people at the bus stop were staring. And she was so embarrassed, she went back upstairs. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. Still... And she met her weight target at the next appointment. But then it's like, you know, really malu for the mum. Indeed, the enforcement seemed to work for a while. Sophie slowly started gaining weight. From 40 kg, her weight crept up to 45 kg, half to 1 kg at a time. And things began to look up. By that time, Sophie was in her first year in junior college. She was looking forward to attending a school camp. And the family had even started planning for a holiday to Bali. 
until Ivy realised that Sophie was hiding something. She started lying about eating and secretly exercising in the room and I, I see discarded food in the toilet bowl and then she lies about it. I did a surprise way in for her at home and she wasn't at the target weight. Ivy concluded that at the medical appointments, when her daughter was weighed, she must have loaded up on water before she got on the scale, so she could appear heavier. That was my breaking point. Uh, because once the trust is lost, it's very difficult. Because at her age, right, she spent a number of hours outside in school. You, you actually don't know whether she's eating or not. And even at home, she can be throwing away food, right? <laughs> Ivy and her husband discussed the situation and realised they had no choice. They would have to hospitalise their daughter without her consent. It was the last day of school before the June holidays. Ivy and her son picked Sophie up from her school for what the latter thought was a family lunch. So we picked her up from school. Somehow my son set the GPS wrongly to avoid expressway. So we went to all those like Ulu Road. I was like, what's happening? But uh, so she didn't know, like, we, we are going somewhere new for lunch. So she was really unprepared when we arrived at the KKHA&E. When they pulled up at the hospital entrance, Ivy told Sophie, I'm sorry we have to hospitalise you because you're not getting better. Like, why are you even doing this? You can't do this. You have no right to do this. Yeah, thankfully, I did it before she's 18. Then uh, we dragged her in. Yeah, so again, uh, no public shame <laughs> for this mum here. Yeah, I actually had to ask the attendants to help me restrain her. It was traumatising. feel terrible. Oh. Then my son, I said, go and park the car. So, so later on, when he came back, his eyes, his eyes were red. You know, I cried in the car park. For you as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I couldn't cry. I was too busy. So <laughs> I only cried at home. I felt terrible because I have to do something that I didn't want to do. And she didn't want to do, but I believe that it was needed, even if she disagrees. And so, as a responsible parent, I do it. Because who else will do it? The guilt that Ivy felt that day was made even worse by the fact that a few years ago, Ivy's son had actually been treated for a gaming addiction and Ivy had missed the early warning signs then too. Her son had been secretive, spent hours on the computer, and got irritated whenever Ivy or her husband tried to set limits. But it was only when his grades started slipping at the end of his first year in junior college that Ivy and her husband intervened. It took about a year of counselling for her son, as well as for Ivy and her husband, before things got better. So, when Sophie's eating disorder surfaced, it was a second blow to Ivy's confidence as a parent. So it's like we make some sacrifices so that one parent could stay home to have a better family life. And yet we have issues like this with both kids. So, you know, of course, there's some feeling of angst and self-doubt and why. You know. But uh, as I've learned, never ask why. Just move on and do what needs to be done. 
Ivy's daughter was warded for two weeks in the hospital. It was a pretty harsh reality check. She was monitored 24-7 in the hospital, in an open ward. She has no privacy. Initially, it was sponge bath in bed. Only when she's finishing her meals, then she's allowed a supervised shower. So even going to the toilet, she's not allowed to walk. She's put in a wheelchair and wheeled to the toilet, and she's observed while in the toilet. Did she resent you for that hospital? Yes, for sure. I think it was the most traumatic experience of her life, according to her. Ivy was also tempted to resent Sophie's earlier lies. But she reminded herself... It's not her that's lying. It's the eating disorder, the mental issue that's causing her to behave that way. And that once she recovers from that mental disorder, I will get my daughter back. When Sophie got out after a fortnight, Ivy again had to make sure she met her weight targets. And this time, she had just the threat to make her daughter comply. I have a very big sort, if you will, because if you're not happy with this home treatment, then we re-hospitalise you. And she knows that I will do it. Ivy's husband, who'd been sceptical of the whole eating disorder thing, became more supportive after a couple of family therapy sessions. Like the good cop to her bad cop, he was patient when Ivy lost her temper with Sophie. After I scream, he will go and comfort her. And then he'd come and tell me off, calm down, stop shouting. It's like, yeah. So yeah, it's a good sanity check. For all their shouting matches and flare-ups, Ivy tried to show Sophie that no matter what, she still loved her. I would try not to take her ranting and her hate personally. Like, I will tell myself, that will pass. That's the eating disorder, that's not my daughter. Whenever she apologised or she asked me for something, I will just jump to it and give it to her. After Sophie graduated from junior college, she completed her outpatient treatment at KKH and was referred to another hospital for adult therapy to monitor her recovery. Her condition had stabilised and her period had resumed. It had been almost three years since she was first diagnosed. After all the hurts and struggles the family went through, Ivy feels they came out stronger for it. Any challenges, any difficulties we overcome, it's what makes a family and it's what binds us together closer, actually. Like, for example, my son, who was like so difficult, is a very comforting source of support when handling his sister. So if we didn't go through that gaming addiction thing, we may not have his support to deal with this eating disorder thing. As for mother and daughter, they have a much healthier relationship these days. I'm trying to give her space while subtly watching over her where I can. Sophie's now in her early 20s, studying overseas. She has recovered from her eating disorder and is managing her depression. In some ways, Ivy feels like she's got her daughter back. She's affectionate in subtle ways. For Mother's Day, she surprised me with cake delivery. Now they just do grab food, you know, and I find it outside the door. It's like, so it's quite heartwarming because she knows I have a weakness for cake. 
That's lovely. <laughs> That's really lovely. She and, won't tell you. Yeah. So she's secretive, but in a good way now. <laughs> I'm so Instead glad of you're throwing there. away food, she grab foods me. <laughs> One final note. Ivy never actually got to the bottom of what caused the daughter's eating disorder. When I asked KKH's Dr. Chiu about what could cause an eating disorder, she said there could be a whole range of factors. We know that there is no one single contributing cause for eating disorder. Um, there's certainly some genetic predisposition. She was very clear about one thing though. Parents are not to be blamed for you know, the development of eating disorder. Other contributing factors can be things like having certain personality traits, such as being a perfectionist, or environmental factors like social media. But as a parent myself, I think about how important it is to be a role model to my son, even if he's just a toddler at this point. If I constantly complain about my weight or cut my portions, Dr. Chu tells me how easily that could influence my child to think that dieting is normal behaviour. I also remind myself not to be critical about my son's body shape. Even at this stage, I'm learning to be careful about describing him as fat or chubby or making fun of his baby fat. But if for all your caution, you do notice your child showing signs of an eating disorder, here's what Dr. Chu advises. If they see that the child's eating is of concern or they see any purging behaviour, drastic weight loss or, you know, um, a lot of secretive eating behaviour, then it's important to get some professional help. So they can either go to a family physician um, to get help or, you know, they can also talk to their school teachers or counsellor. In Ivy's case, she also benefited from attending a course by Caregivers Alliance Limited, or CAL. The non-profit organisation supports caregivers of those with mental health issues. The free 12-week programme Ivy attended covered topics like how to listen with empathy and self-care for caregivers. So I found all that very, very useful. If you're interested, more information on CAL is in the episode description. Can you relate to Ivy's story? What are some of the other things that make you wonder if you're getting the parenting thing wrong? We'd like to hear from you. No issue is too big or small. Write to us at cnainsider at mediacorp.com.sg. I'm Lian Chia, and this has been Imperfect, a podcast by CNA Insider. It's sound engineered by Jonathan Yeo, with intern assistance from Koi Tan, and input from supervising editor Yvonne Lim and senior editor Crispina Robert. 